The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 7, Run Silent, Run Deep. Heart Like a Wheel, written by Cody Martin and Mercedes Lackey. After the throwdown in that abandoned farm, the CCCPHQ felt like a haven of peace and quiet. There was Bear yelling at the television, the familiar machinery noises out of the garage, even Unter marching through random rooms swearing under his breath seemed sane compared to the world outside. He had the feeling that even if the Kriegers descended again with five times the force they'd had before, Nat would just throw a commemorative ashtray at the door and mount up the troops as if it was nothing more than an annoyance. Things just seemed to be falling apart faster and faster, and sometimes it all made him wonder if, after all, he was babbling in a corner of an asylum somewhere, and all of this was a hallucination. In the days since the debrief, he'd been doing a lot of thinking. About the trap, Ubermensch, the Kriegers, and the war, and more and more about Sarah. The one thing that was troubling him the most was the information about Fei Li, how was he going to tell the Commissar? She would never believe the intel if he told her where it had come from. Sarah wasn't exactly the sort of person that Natalia would consider reliable. The allegation that Thaley had defected and thrown her lot in with Verdigree was chilling, to say the least. She knew everything there was to know about the CCCP's operation in Atlanta. If she wanted to, she could make things interesting for everyone at HQ and not in a good way. He'd been doing his best to avoid the Commissar while he puzzled it out, but that plan shattered when she had Thea sent down to summon John to her office. No avoiding it now, I suppose. Still, he was a soldier at heart, and when he got an order, he obeyed it. Even though he really wanted to take a long stint at guarding a cot, or even go back to his squat for a piece, when Red Savior called, he answered. He mustered to the commissar's office when ordered to in a new pair of workers' overalls. John knocked at the door, awaiting permission to enter. In. Savior was nothing if not direct. In when you were allowed into the office, and crockery to the door when you weren't. Often it was an ashtray filled with cigarette butts. It was a good thing that the Russians were all metahuman, since about half of them smoked like chimneys and a normal human might very well be dead of cancer or emphysema by now if they had tried to keep up. John walked in, stopped before reaching the desk, and came to attention. Comrade Murdoch, reporting as per instructions, Commissar. For a moment, when she looked up and John saw the look in her eyes, he wondered if the crockery was going to get thrown at his head after all. "'Have you noted the absence of people's blade?' she asked darkly. This was not the direction he had anticipated the conversation going. His mind flashed for a moment to Sarah. "'Faley, I have, Commissar. But it's not unusual for several of the comrades to be gone on different operations at any given time, so I hadn't given it much thought.' The hairs stood up on the back of John's neck. Statements like that weren't simply given out unless there was something unpleasant attached to them. What should he tell her? Spill everything now about Fei Sarah, and Verdigree? Fei is defected. The reply was so flat that only immense rage could be behind it. To Svinya, Blacksnake. 
John was silent for a few moments. Well, that solves that problem. I had to play this and toe the line. I was... unaware, Commissar. It wasn't technically a lie. He only knew that Faye had gone over to Verdigree. Never mind that the slick bastard controlled Black Snake. He decided that now was a good time to shut up. It wasn't his place to pry for more information, even though this meeting seemed to be somewhat more informal than he was used to with Natalia. She was disregarding some protocol, and her tone was... different. Something beyond the anger she was clearly feeling. To be exact, Natalia said between clenched teeth. General Shen Shui believes we are not doing enough to ferret out the location and weaknesses of the Tulians. He is of the opinion that all means necessary should be used to track the fascistas to their center of power and eliminate them. When I suggested that laying waste to entire cities of workers or engaging in total war might be counterproductive, Feli vanished, leaving only a letter saying that Verdigree understood the concept of acceptable losses. I believe she does not know that I know Verdigree and Blacksnake are one. I am relieved we did not include her in Overwatch. Small favors. John merely nodded. He had a feeling that this was going to get worse before it got better. Best to wait and see and roll with the punches. I am assigning you to retrieve her. You are powerful enough to defeat, and if necessary, eliminate her. A spasm of grief and pain flashed across Savior's features. John almost flinched witnessing it. So, that's what's behind the Iron Mask. I cannot think of anyone in CCCP, even Chug for all his strength and resilience, who would be able to best her hand to hand. Not so long as she holds Jade Emperor's whisper. But you can keep her at a distance. You are also a skilled tactician, when you are actually thinking and not acting like Nectarny John Wayne. You are excellent at covert operations. With Sorceress, you are more than excellent. And you are not so attached to the comrades as any of my countrymen or long-term CCCP members. You should be able to remain detached and not let past relations get in the way of what needs to be done. John felt his stomach twisting tighter with each word that she spoke. He thought that he had been somewhat prepared for this, but it didn't make the situation any more palatable. What are your conditions for conducting the operation? What are the parameters, Commissar? You will persuade her back if you can, and... Neutralize her if you cannot. Savior's eyes were now nearly black with barely restrained emotion. This was probably the most unsettled that John had ever seen her. Absolutely neutralize her. Blue Girl is not being thrust vertically so far as he can be thrown by infant. Neither do I. Maybe he wishes to end Krieger Menace, but I am thinking he is quite ready to throw us all under tractor to do so, as long as he is still drinking champagne in bunker at the end. When Shen Shui was alive, he did not blink at ordering what would cause the deaths of hundreds of thousands. He would not hesitate now at actions that would kill billions. He bit his tongue so hard that he could taste blood, 
It didn't show on his face aside from his jaw tightening almost imperceptibly. Understood, Commissar. And what about Black Snake personnel on site, if there are any? Your best judgment, she shrugged. Leckies are of no concern. It is Feli and Shen Shui that are dangerous. To review, my orders are to retrieve or neutralize Comrade Feli, contain any Black Snake personnel on site, and procure any intelligence on site once the primary objective is completed. Correct, Commissar? Bah. The word was bitten off. John was very uncomfortable with this entire damned mess. Faley was dangerous to the CCCP, his comrades, and the war effort against the Thulians. With her on their side, she was a tremendous asset. With her gone over to Verdigree, she could very well sabotage everything they've worked towards while trying to accomplish her own goals. He'd wondered at the time why Savior hadn't included her in the merry gang of conspirators. Now he was just glad it hadn't happened. If Faley had known about them, about Overwatch... He didn't relish the idea of having to fight one of their own, though, no matter how misguided she might have become. Being able to rely on your team was something he had learned early when he was a soldier, and it had been reinforced through the years. Being ordered to rein in, and potentially kill, a one-time ally, it all tasted of the program in a way that he absolutely hated. Some of his doubts vanished when he began to think about Sarah and the danger that Faye Lee posed to her. He had promised that he would keep Faye from hurting Sarah again. This was official sanction to do so. It didn't mean he had to like it, however. John must have allowed some of what he was thinking to slip out onto his face. Murdoch, Faye was my mentor, my sestra. There... He could hear her teeth grind. There is no one dearer to me. But Shen Shui, go to your Wikimedia, look him up. He was, is brilliant, a genius, and a monster. If he has decided that CCCP is of no more use to him and may be an obstacle to him, he will not hesitate, not even for a moment, at eliminating us. And Feili is party to all of our weaknesses and strengths. She is not only knowing of Overwatch and of the device. And the CCCP and the people associated with it are important to the cause from what Sarah has hinted. I understand, Commissar. Permission to speak freely? It is not just CCCP Murdoch. He has decided that the Thulians must be destroyed, and he will allow nothing to interfere with that. If someone or something holds what he believes to be a key, he will have that key, by whatever means it requires. She smoldered a moment, then waved at him. Permission. I don't like this. You know my background, and this is an aspect that I'm uncomfortable with. But I realize the necessity, the dire urgency. And I'll carry out your orders. He believed what he was saying fully. It all made sense. But that didn't stop his words from tasting like ash in his mouth. I would do it myself. I had rather do it myself. Her shoulders sagged. I have not a chance of a butterfly against an eagle against Shen Shui and that sword. 
You are not only the best hope, you are the only unhandicapped hope. Shen Shui has not seen you fight as much or worked beside you for years. You are unknown to him. She shook her head. Further questions? Only one, Commissar. When do I ship out? Her lips thinned into a hard line. Now, the decree is here, so probably is Feili. Be going to Sorceress. Likely she can find both. Victoria Victrix lived in a five-story brick apartment building in a blue-collar area of Atlanta. There wasn't much of anything here that was newer than the 50s. The elevator was so old it had a brass grill you pulled back after the door closed, and it creaked and wheezed its way up to the top floor. The hall carpet was so worn you could see the warp threads, the lighting had to be twenty-watt bulbs at best, and at intervals along the wall were things John guessed had to be old gaslight fixtures. But it was clean, and in fairly good repair. He knocked on her door, checking the hallway again as he did so. There was a long pause, then the sound of one lock after another being unlatched. Finally, after the fifth one, the door opened. Afternoon, Harvey. How's kicks? John hooked his thumbs in his belt, trying to look casual. Truth be told, he was still on edge from his meeting with the commissar. Vicky didn't look as if she felt any easier than he did. Savior said she was sending you over. I said I don't see people. She said I was seeing you. He held up a manila folder. I've got an op. This is all of the particulars. It's something she didn't want sent through the usual channels, and I figured it'd be best to review with you in person. Anyways, I've already read it. He cocked his head to the side, offering her a lopsided grin. L mind if I come in? Unless you're cool with the whole building knowing about super-secret spy shit. She scuttled out of the way so he could come inside, then threw five of the locks. John noticed out of the corner of his eye that there were ten on the door. The apartment was... Cozy was the only appropriate word for it. There was the faint smell of cinnamon and vanilla in the air. The lighting was dim, but not uncomfortably so, so it was wall-to-wall -wall books and music. The furniture was all... soft. There was a cat. The biggest cat that John had ever seen outside of zoos, but not because it was fat. A huge gray and brown tabby. It was looking him up and down as if he was being sized up for an interview. Or possibly a meal. He hadn't known that she had a cat. Vicky sidled past him and saw where he was looking. Oh, that's Gray. He owns me. He allows me to buy him cat food and provide him with an apartment, and internet, and cable. She said this as if the cat really was using the latter two. Then again, maybe it was. Huh. I'm more of a dog person, to be honest. When John spoke, she seemed to shrink into herself. She was definitely a different person from the one that John had spent hours with over a radio connection. The confidence wasn't there in person. So, you want to get started? He held out the envelope for her. She took it gingerly in gloved hands, then took a seat as far away from him as was physically possible, while still allowing them both to review the operational material. 
He noticed then that she was completely covered from the neck down, with almost less skin showing than a devout Muslim woman in a burqa. There's a lot more to this witch than meets the eye. He instinctively wanted to poke and pry for more information, but his gut also told him that he'd be overstepping some serious boundaries in doing so. And he couldn't have his overwatch operator seizing up and not trusting him, so he let it rest for the moment. She went through the papers, quickly developing a fierce frown. "'This isn't good,' she muttered several times. And when she finished, she looked up at him with the expression of a stone. "'This is seriously Fubar.' He leaned against a wall, his arms crossed in front of him. "'I know, and I told Nat as much personally. But it just might be necessary, too. Got any other morons lining up that can pull it off?' Better question, any that can do it without getting a lot of people killed. She clutched the papers, which trembled in her hands. That sword. You know what that thing is? I mean, okay, magically speaking, most of the rest of the world is Steam Age, and that's like a Jedi lightsaber. So, are you saying I'm dead and I don't know it yet? She was the expert here. The number of magicians available to Echo was still low. Having one as strong and knowledgeable as Vicky was a major plus. No, no, the, the Commissar is right. Since you're a distance kind of guy, you have the best chance against her of anyone that can get pulled in. Can't call in any of our crew that's an Echo. Vert will find out in a heartbeat. Especially since Faley is an Op 3 and there aren't a lot of those floating around wouldn't surprise me if he had the op twos and threes tagged and watched 24-7. So anyone we rope in to deal with her is going to show on the radar on the instant. She ran her hand nervously through her short hair. Concerning the particulars, I think it's doable. I drew up a basic operations order that I'll need your help reviewing and tweaking. We can get to that in a minute. What's more, do you think that this is a justifiable mission? John had mostly reconciled the necessity of this task with himself. He needed her to be okay with this. If she wasn't, he couldn't do his job, or at least not nearly as well. Vicky licked her lips. I hate this, because she hasn't actually done anything yet. It's like mind police. But, look, I've worked with you, and... She seemed to decide on something. Murdoch, I'm a certified paranoid, okay? So don't freak on me. I'm going to show you something. She led the way to a locked door and unlocked it. Inside. Inside it looked like a movie set for what movie directors fondly imagined the computer room of, say, the FBI looked like. Six, no, eight flat-screen monitors, enough equipment to make him blink because it filled virtually every inch of space. This is where the magic happens, she said, sounding not proud as he would have expected, but sad. She sat down and began typing. Windows popped up with encrypted passwords. Lots of them. She typed too fast even for him to figure out what they were. Finally, she opened a folder marked CCCP, and there were lots of little folders, all with names on them. 
Like I said, I'm paranoid. She double-clicked on the one with his name on it, entered yet another password, and gestured to him to have a look. John leaned over, peering at the screen. He noticed her recoil slightly from him, making sure to keep distance between them. All right, I'm looking. So, what am I looking at? You remember when I showed you your file, right? I go that deep with everyone, even the paperboy. I'm... Paranoid, John. I'm not kidding about that. I have a lot of reasons to be. Like you saw, I can go very, very deep indeed. But when it comes to people who are magical, I can go a lot deeper. She closed his file and clicked on Feilis. Feilis was actually two. The file on the pretty little Chinese woman was actually fairly slender. But the one on General Shen Shui... And when Savior had said that the general was a monster, she had not been exaggerating. Collateral damage seemed to be a completely acceptable option for him. If something prevented the general from completing an objective, it was swept aside. Entire cities, tribes, even the damned livestock in an area. The general was single-minded in his pursuit of a goal. It was this tremendous drive and determination that allowed supremely heroic acts right along with some of the most deplorable crimes against humanity that John had ever heard of. And as for the sword, it seemed to be a major magical artifact on the order of the Holy Grail or Horn of Roland or Excalibur. Vicky's own note, written in a cramped text on the margin, I'm not sure what it can't do. So, we're in the right, then. Even if it sucks, it's something that might have to be done if it can't be avoided. Vicky sighed. I hate it, but I'm with Belle. Verda's almost as bad as the Thulians, and if Thaley has just thrown her weight in on his side, I don't think we have a choice. Oh, if you're wondering how to find her, that's no problem. The sword casts a big, honking, magical shadow. I have more trouble shielding out its influence than in trying to locate it. I don't think she realizes I'm working with the CCCP, and she knows Nat loathes magic. As long as she doesn't know I'm looking for her, she's on my radar. Some of the tension left John. Vicky was with him on this. Now that he had that settled, the rest would be routine. Let's get down to brass tacks, then. The location that Vicky had used her hocus-pocus to track Fei Li to wasn't the only old, apparently abandoned motel in Atlanta that was surrounded by chain-link fence with razor wire on top of it. Too many old motels became the home to squatters and druggies, especially now, with all the folks made homeless in the destruction corridors. This one would have made a good target for that, since it was about 95% intact. This had been a big motel, too, on Old Highway 20 before the Beltway and the freeways came in. It had three big units, each four stories tall, in a U-shape around a swimming pool long since filled in to prevent the skaters from using it as a free ramp. It still looked abandoned, except just out of sight, there were a couple of vehicles that were way too armored to be civilian trucks. John had inserted into the motel through the roof. Through Vicky and Bella, he was able to procure one of the Echo jetpacks that their frontrunners sometimes used. He had picked it up from a dead drop in one of the destruction corridors, and lugged the package on foot until he was about three miles from the target area. Then it was time to play Rocketeer. 
Vicky had given him a crash course in its operation over the headset. There were a few abortive false starts, but he eventually was able to get it off the ground and heading in the right direction. After getting to a safe altitude, well above any visual searches or passive scans that Black Snake might have been running, he had cut the jetpack, fallen, and then trigged his parachute. Airborne trained are cocky for a reason, suckers. As he descended, he scanned through his NVGs for any lookouts while Vicky gave him some help through the use of one of her seemingly innumerable gizmos. The coast was clear as far as the two of them could tell. He'd made a perfect landing on the roof, dragging his chute in quickly. After stuffing it under an inoperative air conditioning unit, he made his entry into the building's roof access. Inside, what had been separate units and rooms had been made into a single large room, at least on the top floor. On the first floor down from that, there were several rooms, and it was pretty clear that the utilities were all live. They're confident I'll give them that. All of the floors leading down were abandoned as he swept through the building. It was when he got as far as the basement, and the brand new sub-basements, that things got interesting. There were surprisingly few traps in the motel, a couple of claymore mines, a few tripwire flashbangs, and a single laser sensor near the basement access. John chalked this up to the large number of personnel they had patrolling. There were over ten black snake troopers going through the hallways or waiting in rooms, almost always in pairs, throughout the entire building. They reported in regularly, too. With the entire working building situated almost completely underground, however, Vicky's witchcraft came in handy. She was able to hack quickly into their systems using magic, replicate their voices, and call in for multiple troopers at once in order to answer their designated sentry calls. She'd gotten a lot better at that since the Cantus op. That, combined with the knockout drugs that John had been equipped with, made getting to the sub-basement easy. All of the Black Snake troopers were alive. Most of them never saw John coming before they felt the sting of a syringe in the side of their neck. He figured that, while the Commissar wouldn't quite approve of leaving them breathing and relatively unharmed, it was within his discretion to do so. And what the Commissar didn't know, she couldn't excoriate him over. They were all low-level flunkies anyways. Veterans, most likely, guys just in it for the pay. They didn't know shit and probably figured they were the good guys. The final door wasn't any more of a challenge. No password, no biometrics scan, not even a guard. Sloppy. Must have figured that no one could get this far. Either the general was cocky, or working with Black Snake had kept her from running a tight ship. Black Snake was good at what it did mostly for its brutality and the precise application of it. Other areas were naturally more lax on standards than professional military units. That showed up in ways that could come back and bite them in the ass. Like now. Big honkin' magical signature on the other side of that, Johnny. John growled low, keeping his voice down. Roger, Vic. Any idea on the opposition? Daily for certain, three other probables. I'm mostly reading the probables by reflection and interference from what Thaley is putting out. All right, I'm breaching the entrance. Stand by. John stood against the door jam, then tested the doorknob. It didn't squeak, which he was thankful for. In one smooth motion, he opened the door and brought his M4 up, moving silently and quickly. There were stacks of crates all over the place. He took cover behind the closest to the door. John peered around the side. Peering, or shooting, 
Over the top of cover exposed more of a person's head to enemy fire. The entire room was filled with crates and several cages. Xie Xie. Whoever was thanking someone in Chinese was female and didn't sound all that... grateful. It was more like automatic politeness. Not that many female Chinese speakers in this building, John figured. I want the full sensor suites in place and capture teams knowing their areas of responsibility well enough to react in their sleep before we even begin this operation. Of course, General. We've been given orders to that effect. A male voice and one that was notably agitated. Want me to try the new eye, Johnny? Hit it thick and go quietly. Give me their disposition and that of the rest of the room. I want to know where I can move. There wasn't as much as a whisper to show that Vicky's new eye, a magically cloaked and levitated button cam, was moving. John only knew it because he felt it brush against his hair as it rose from its pocket on the back of his vest. This was Vicky's techno-hoodoo. She'd stolen non-working cams from the vault, stuff Verd had not been able to get to work, and instead of using tech to make them float and hide, she used magic. Brilliant, despite the shivers that stuff gave him. One more thing they had that Verd didn't. Most of the room is clear. On your three o'clock, two guards, one manning, a monitor bank, one live, one dead. Dead ahead, another that looks like he has officer pips. Crates at your ten o'clock, he looks like he's talking to someone on the other side of them. Let me get a better angle on those speakers. A pause. It's Faye Lee, all right. She's... Oh, shit! There was the sound of metal hitting metal. Go red, she spotted the cam. That should have been goddamned impossible. John didn't like to lose the element of surprise. John came out from behind his cover, suppressed rifle aimed towards where Vic had told him Fei Li was. As if on cue, the general himself, herself, strode out from behind a stack of crates, illuminated in the green glow of computer screens and harsh fluorescence. She, he, well, it was the general in command. The figure, though that of a diminutive Chinese woman, walked with a slight swagger and, like a man, hair and fancy braids, dressed in the same black pajamas as the Viet Cong had favored, she pinned him with her gaze. The two black snake guards and their officer all immediately drew weapons, submachine gun PDWs of some sort. John was too focused on the general to try to figure it out. So, CCCP sends... You, comrade, she sneered. They chose to send their American. How sad. Perhaps Natalia did not want to risk my powers of persuasion with those that know me. You can come involuntarily, comrade. We can do this easy-like, or we can do it really easy. Your choice. John kept his rifle trained on Fei Li. Even though he had three other firearms pointed at him, she was, without a doubt, the most dangerous person in the entire room. Really easy. An interesting choice of words, considering that you are outnumbered, even without my presence here. She shook her head. Terrible tactics, comrade. Your John Wayne maneuvers are, and have always been, ineffective. 
wonder why you didn't know I was here till just now? Uh, because the rest of your numbers are down and out. Now quit stalling and make your decision. The general sighed. Very well. Men, take him without killing him if possible. Without preamble, John turned his rifle slightly to aim at the closest black snake operative and shot him in the face three times. The other two were fast and closed with him quickly. At this distance they were inside the length of his rifle before he could reorient and fire again. Shrugging off his sling, John swung the rifle at the other grunt. It caught him on the edge of his chin perfectly, causing his teeth to click. He went down like a puppet with the strings cut, crumpling into a pile on the floor. The officer was competent and wasn't so quick to rush in. John, frowning at the murk, threw his rifle at him. The man caught it instinctively. Bad move, pal. John kicked him hard in the groin and then dribbled him around the floor with kicks and punches until he was rendered unconscious. So, John said, are you ready to come in quietly? Or do I have to beat the hell out of more goons? I must definitely speak to Verdigree regarding the lack of competent help he has provided me, Shen Shui said, and launched into a flying kick at John. He twisted in place, swatting her leg out of the way. She landed perfectly right beside him, looking perfectly serene. What happened next was a complete blur. John struck at her as hard and as fast as he could. Faye flawlessly countered every blow he launched. She did it effortlessly, as if she knew every move he was going to make. And she was fast, just as fast as John. With his enhancements, that was a feat that probably only a few metahumans in the entire world could claim. Then her assault came. It was everything John could do to keep from being hit. He felt his stealth suit literally tear when she grazed him with an open-palmed strike. The effect was exactly like being in the middle of a martial arts movie with a combat between two evenly matched masters. In his experience, most fights were over in seconds, usually with whoever messed up first being the loser. Her technique was impossibly precise, almost exquisite in flow. John was good and had spent a long time becoming that way, but he knew he couldn't keep up with this. She spun, swinging an elbow at his temple, ducking under it. He was immediately pounded with two open-handed strikes, a sweep, and a series of jabs. He blocked and dodged most of it, but she could see that he was giving up ground. Thaley unsheathed her sword without any sort of flourish and nearly bisected John. An unearthly whir filled the air where her sword cut through the air. Distance! Vicky yelled in his ear. That thing is celestial! John dropped to the ground, kicking at Bailey's knee. She jumped back out of reach, swinging her sword through where his ankle had been a moment then before. You need more distance than that, like the next county. She can slice through an I-beam without losing speed. John sprinted towards the door, stopping abruptly and turning to face her. She stood, poised and ready, sword to resting on the ground. Are you running, comrade? You should. Last chance to see reasoning coming to talk this over, for this gets lethal for you, comrade. John stood up, motioning plaintively towards her. Y'all can still come back, rejoin the CCCP. It isn't too late for that. Natalia Chan is insufficiently committed. She will not do what must be done to end the Thulian menace. Faley brought up the sword into guard position. 
John shook his head. You're wrong. I think you know it deep down, but I can't change your mind. She charged, sword in a high guard. When she was within spitting distance, John released his carefully maintained control slightly and loosed his fires. A wall of flame shot up in between the two fighters. Faley skidded to a halt, pirouetting, and then actually vaulted over the flames. John ran to his right, snapping his wrist out. A gout of fire smashed into the ground in front of Faye kicking up smoke and half-melted rock. "'If and you think I won't kill you,' John shouted over his shoulder. "'Better think again. I'd just rather avoid it.' Two more blasts of flame. Faye deflected one with her blade, which began to glow red-hot. "'She's moving too fast for me to bounce her with Geomancy,' Vicky said grimly. "'And way too fast to bury her, assuming she didn't cut herself out if I did.' John, taking the initiative, stopped dead in his run and turned toward Faye He focused for a moment, then shot a concentrated stream of fire at the roof of the basement. Rubble poured out of the hole he gouged, directly in front of Faye Her path was completely blocked, obstructed by the debris and crates. "'We seem to be at an impasse, comrade,' Faye called. "'What you call the... Mexican standoff. Only because I want you to live, comrade. Come in and all this will be forgotten. It might have been a half-lie, but even that was better than having to resort to killing someone who was supposed to have been an ally once. Normally he would have burned her the moment it was apparent that she was trying to kill him. He'd killed plenty of other people that way, and with a lot less screwing around. But this wasn't nearly that simple. I believe that is not a possibility, American. Natalia is my pupil. She knows she cannot allow me to live if she has the means of making an end of me. I believe I will take advantage of the exit that you provided me. Without another word, the general gracefully leaped, no running start, through the hole in the ceiling of the basement. An impossible jump. John stood dumbfounded for a moment, gathering his wits before he keyed his calm. Let me guess, Vic. She's already gotten the hell out of Dodge, and the cavalry is just now arriving. Right? Ten-four, Vicky sighed. And now I think she's figured out how I can track her, because she's gone blank on me. Hellfire and damnation. Guess we'll have to salvage this somehow. Get one of your other cams on scene. We're going to need documentation for all of the intel on site. Roger. John scratched his head. This was a hell of a mess, and part of it was his doing again. The cleanup team would be in here soon. Time to face up to the music. The fifteen minutes it took for the cavalry to show up didn't help to ease John's tension. He had completed his mission with regards to locating Faley, disabling the Black Snake personnel, and securing the site. But People's Blade had slipped away. He didn't want to chase her anyway. If he had, one of them would probably be dead, and John wasn't so sure that he'd be the victor. Vicky alerted John when the backup team arrived. He keyed his comm unit. Ways clear, Commissar. Twelve unconscious Black Snake goons, one dead. All of their countermeasures and traps are deactivated. Everything is ready to get swept up. Come on down. 
Remember, Commissar, technically, these rats weren't violating any laws. That was Vicky. Savior's reply was a grunt. It was Untermensch that replied. This is why Soviet is giving them sleepy shot, and we are dumping them. Elsewhere. The way he chuckled made John think that elsewhere was likely to be very unpleasant for the Black Snake operatives when they woke up. The team worked their way down methodically, and finally Soviet Bear poked his nose around the doorframe. You are having tourists for us, Comrade Murdoch. Too breathing. Yep. Come on in, Pavel. John stood up, brushing dust off of his torn stealth suit. She got way too close with that sword. Hell, she was lethal enough barehanded. Bear whistled, and Yadviga followed him in with her medical bag, examining them carefully. Why is this one being dead? Oddly enough, that was Red Savior. She was poking the dead Merc with her foot. He hadn't expected her to be concerned about collateral damage. I was in a hurry, and they weren't being friendly. John automatically straightened up as the Commissar approached. This little command center they have here has plenty of intel. They never had a chance to destroy any of the hard copy or computer drives. Johnny, there's no way I can get a wireless signal down there. You see any sign of a cable or ISDN line or anything? That was Vicky. John whispered, lowering his head. Bad timing. I'll look for it soon. Xavier turned towards him as the two unconscious black snake ops were carried out, leaving no one there but herself and Untermensch. Report, comrade, she scowled. I can be seen you encountered Shen Shui. After liaising with my overwatch, I breached the building following the approved plan, utilizing an echo jetpack, followed by parachuting to the roof. Upon entry into the building, I wasn't confronted by any opposition until I reached the lower levels. I incapacitated ten roving and static guards and neutralized several traps, standard fare, mostly early warning devices or trip-wired explosives. John paused, shifting his weight. When I reached the command post, I encountered the target and three more Black Snake operators. A sensor deployed by Overwatch was unexpectedly detected, and I was engaged by the target and her guards. Once the guards were taken out of the picture, I tried to bring down Fei Li. But you failed. Savior's scowl deepened. Couldn't be done without killing her outright, which I gauged wouldn't have been acceptable. John looked straight at the commissar. Attempting to pursue Fei Li would have resulted in either her death or mine. It was a stalemate. Savior's face darkened. Is there something about, by any means necessary, that you do not understand, Tovarich? He hesitated. No, Commissar. I used my judgment on the scene to the best of my ability. Savior's eyes flashed dangerously, and her hands clenched at her side. And then she gave him the worst tongue-lashing he had ever had in his entire career— Never mind that at least half of it was in Russian. The venom in her tone more than made up for the fact that he couldn't understand her. Finally, even she ran out of words. You are dismissed, Comrade Murdoch, she said in disgust. I will be wanting a report in 
triple on my desk within the hour. Do svidania. Without a word, John saluted, turned on his heel, and left. Could have been worse. She could have shot me. Or called me by my full name. He could be right in not killing people's blade, Commissar, Untermensch said softly. If it was truly a stalemate, Shen Shui is hardly a fool, and he would escape rather than continue to fight. Once outside this building, he would not have hesitated to use bystanders as shields. Savior waved off the comment, but as John glanced back at her, he thought perhaps she looked torn, as if having second thoughts. The collection team began boxing up and carting away all of the potential intelligence it could. Reams of paper and binders, computer hard drives, maps and communications gear. As Bear was clomping towards the doorway to the stairs, a glimmer caught his eye. It was one of the several cages that lined the far wall. It was covered in very strange symbols, none of which were familiar to him. What a strange sort of zoo is people's blade being to make? He sniffled, then turned back to leave. A decadent fetish, maybe. John Murdoch completely vanished from the Seraphim's awareness. It was not the dyed sort of vanishing. That wouldn't actually be vanishing at all, more like moved to another state of being. No, this was vanishing, as if someone had made him disappear, just as a completely unaccustomed feeling overwhelmed her because of the only other creature she knew that could vanish from her awareness in that matter. Shen Shui. If John was near Shen Shui and Shen Shui had for any reason extended his powers to make John disappear, then John was in deadly peril. She panicked. She did not react as a mortal would. Of course, she neither flew off wildly nor froze. But a great wave of primal panic fear engulfed her, and although she did not cease the task she was on, the elimination of a Thulean cell and the rescue of another person who would become important, she was shaking to her very bones with reaction. And when John finally reappeared to her, it was all she could do to keep herself from racing to him. This was a delicate task, one that required tiny interventions in a long sequence, both to keep the prisoner alive and to aid Echo personnel in finding him, and it was only when it was completed that she did give herself leave to fly to John. In fact, she did more than fly. She apported herself to just above the roof of his squat, and once she was sure he was alone there, she folded her wings and plunged down to him, relief at seeing him not only alive but whole, making tears stream from her eyes. He saw her at the very last minute out of the corner of his eye and turned to her, face full of shock and astonishment. Impelled by instinct and impulse, she did not think. She flung herself at him and embraced him with everything she had. Then, as he started to speak, again without thinking, she kissed him. To say this kiss was nothing like the embrace of siblings was to say that the ocean was, perhaps, a bit damp. And yet... Strangely, it was exactly like the embrace of siblings. It was utterly, completely right in ways she could not codify, and at the moment had no interest in thinking about. It was intimate in ways the siblings never experienced for themselves. She did not want it to end. Ever.
After filling out his after-action report in triplicate as requested, John had stripped out of his kit, then washed up and toweled off before he made his way back to his squat. Everything was fairly quiet in the neighborhood, and he hadn't received any messages that required his urgent attention. It was only after he was back in his squat with all of the security reactivated that he felt safe enough to relax again. What a hell of a day. Not wasting any time, he tied the top half of his issued coveralls around his waist, grabbed what was left of a six-pack, and made his way to the roof. A light breeze was blowing, taking some of the edge off of the oppressive Atlanta heat as it radiated off of all of the concrete and asphalt. He hadn't even had a chance to bring the first beer to his lips when he noticed a blur of motion out of the corner of his right eye. Reflexively, he dropped the beer and turned to face whatever it was. It was too fast, but some instinct inside of him told John that it wasn't a threat. His mind processed everything in a flash. It was Sarah, and she was clearly distressed. Her arms flew around him, gripping him tightly and desperately. He returned the embrace again on automatic, before his words found him. Sarah? What's— Before John could utter another word, he found himself occupied with the most passionate kiss he'd ever received. After another moment of being startled, John returned the kiss with just as much feeling. He wrapped his arms around her, bringing her in close. He was confused, excited, dumbstruck, and about a dozen other emotions all coming almost too fast for him to process. The kiss lingered on. And it was good. He didn't want it to stop, not the kiss, and not at just the kiss. Hell, it had literally been years— but good judgment and caution won out against desire. Finally, but without a sense of urgency, he slowly pulled away, looking down into Sarah's eyes as they slowly opened, two molten orbs of amber awash in tears and light. "'You were gone,' she said. "'You were there, then you were gone. And I know it was Shen Shui.' John stared for a moment, then chuckled while he ran his hand through his hair. You're right. You were right about her, too. She's gone over to that rotten bastard bird, completely. He looked down at his feet before meeting her eyes again. I was sent after her to bring her in, or kill her. It almost came to that, but she escaped. She's a hell of a fighter, Sarah. Too dangerous for her own good. You don't understand. It isn't she. Feili is not there. It is Shen Shui. And the sword. It is celestial, John. It is like me. It can even hurt me. You, it would obliterate if the full scope of its power were unleashed. You were in terrible, deadly danger. Her arms tightened around him again. John grinned lopsidedly, a real grin, as opposed to the affected ones he sometimes wore. Darlin, we're all in terrible, deadly danger, all the time. In peace and in war doesn't make much of a difference. I had a job that needed doing. He sobered then. I had to protect all the people that trust me. My comrades. My neighborhood. And you. And then, suddenly, she went still, 
she blinked and looked down, as if realizing only now what she was doing. Her arms loosened, and she took a single, small step away. The distance between them was only inches now, closer than he had ever allowed anyone. But could it be closed again? She looked up. I have enormous feelings for you, John Murdoch, she said. This is a new thing. The siblings do not themselves have such feelings. And yet the infinite is not saying it is not permitted. John took a small step towards her, closing the distance between the two of them again. This is the part where I'm struck by a lightning bolt or burst into flame or explode or something. Yeah, worth it. I won't pretend to know or believe in that. But I do know this. He slowly, very slowly, allowed his hands to hold Sarah by her shoulders. Anyone that would say that this is wrong, well, they just couldn't be right. So, is this all right? With you? She blinked again, slowly, and a little smile creased those perfect lips. Yes, she said simply, and lifted her chin a little, plainly waiting for him to kiss her. John pulled her close, still grinning while he leaned in for the kiss. She started to change, subtly as he did so. Her hair started to dim, from fire to a shining fall of hair. The wings began to fade. He stopped short, holding up a hand to her face. No, you're perfect the way you are, darling. As he caressed her face, it changed back to her true form where he touched, spreading until the changes had completely reverted. I am not perfect, John, she said seriously. Perfection is stagnation, and stagnation is death. I would not wish to be perfect. Even the infinite does not seek perfection. I of the beholder, darling. Now, shut up and kiss me. He finished the sentence with a kiss deep enough to match her first one. In that moment, the world could have ended for John Murdoch, and he would not have been more content. You have been listening to Season 7 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod, available at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the amazing people at Bayon Books. Follow the series at www.secretworldchronicle.com. Join us on Facebook and check out the authors on Twitter. And as always, thank you for listening.